Okay, let me just confirm that with Scripture. Ephesians 1 verse 22 to 23 says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. And then Romans 12 verse 4 to 5, just in case you didn't get that, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. So we are Christ's body. We are the church. Sounds like a song. We are. <laughs> so what's the vision of the church? What's our vision? Well, it's pretty simple, actually. And I'm not going to tell you anything new today. God did not reveal part of his amazing plan to me through a vision or a, a dream. I wish, but he didn't. And uh, what I have to say, we, we all know but I, I just, I'm just hoping that this, that this truth will be cemented in our faith this morning. And um, I can tell you that we are all part of his plan. He's this amazing plan. And we all have a part to play in this plan. So I can guarantee two things today while I'm going through my points. One, you're going to hear a really good preach. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, that's not point number one. Point number one is... We're all going to find ourselves somewhere in this journey with the Lord, in this process. And number two, we're all going to realize what part or parts we have to play in this, this journey. Amen. That's two guarantees. So whether you got saved yesterday or whether you, you've been a disciple of Christ for 50 years, some of our church members have been saved for that long, believe it or not. Um, it doesn't matter. We all have a part to play. Amen? And the parts don't always look the same because we're all different parts of, the, of one body, but we all work together. It's, a, it's, it's an amazing thing. And this vision that, that I'm talking about is the same vision that the early church had 2,000 years ago when uh, they received the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. Same vision. I'll explain, I'll, I'll explain it in detail as we go along, but... It's the same vision, it's just the way we do it as city-based church and the tools we use, the resources we use, is slightly different to other churches because we have a different community. We do things different. We have different people here than what you find in four ways. They are, they are humans, but they do things differently, okay? So God has placed us here for a reason. And he's given us tools and resources to reach this community. Amen? But the vision is still the same. And it's at the core of everything that we believe. It's at the core of who we are. And that we find in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach his new disciples to obey, to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And Acts verse 1 verse 8. Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We heard last week, John said, that God's desire is to see everyone saved. You read 1 Timothy 3 verse 4. 
This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. God wants everyone saved. We know that this doesn't always happen and we can't understand why. But he wants everyone saved. So I want us to think for a moment about those friends and families that we have, that we've been praying for, for all these years. We've been hoping that they'll come to know Jesus. God wants them to be saved. And he loved them so much, he loved everyone so much, that he made a way for them to get saved. Even if they don't, he still made a way. That's our amazing God. Uh, I've lost my way. So many will choose him and many will won't, and we, and we don't understand this. And the reason for that is because we've been given free choice. We've given our own will. Otherwise, we'd just be like robots, programmed to accept Jesus, and off we go. <laughs> Wouldn't that be easy? But there's no life in that. It's dead. It's just this dead thing. But the fact that we have free choice, the fact that we choose God, that is life. That brings life. Amen? So we don't understand it. And uh, when I said everyone, when God made a way for everyone, I I meant everyone. Everyone that ever lived in the past, everyone that's living right now, and everyone that's going to live in the future. And and I went and uh, Googled, Googled my friend, and he's, he said, or she said, maybe she, yeah, it's a she, just like my wife, walk, walking Google, um, that there's 7.8 billion people in this world right now. And by the, the year 2050, they estimate it will be about 10 billion. So it's not decreasing, it's increasing. And that's a lot of people that God loves. And that's a lot of people that God made a way for. Amen? So... John 3, verse 16 to 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. John 14, verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way back to the Father. That's the truth. Sin separates us from the Father, and then the day we meet Jesus and accept him, the reconciliation happens, and we are reconciled with the Father. That's the good news, church. That's the good news. And we can't downplay the day we got saved. We can't downplay the day we went from being dead to alive. We can't downplay the day we came out of darkness into the light. We can't downplay the day that we went from off being orphans to being sons and daughters of the living God. We can't forget that day. Whether it happened yesterday, it's fresh in your memory, that fire is in you and you just want to go into the world and tell people about Jesus. That same memory should be stuck and ingrained in us right now. That, we should never forget the day we got saved because it was the day that our, ch- our lives changed. Amen? We can never forget the importance of the day. Because for many, many people, that day is still coming. And that should excite us. I've seen people get saved in front of my eyes. And to see that life come into their eyes again, to see that hope come, where there was just hopelessness and despair before, that's the most amazing thing you can ever see. And we sh- that should excite us. That should excite us and, and, and move us forward. Amen? But it doesn't just end there. We don't just get saved and that's it. 
For some, that is enough. Get out of jail, free card. Uh, what do they call it? Fire insurance. Um, I'm saved now, so, but I'm good. I don't need to change. Uh, I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm just going to carry on living my life the way I was. No. The Bible tells us a very different story. It's more than just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's more, more than just a ticket out of hell. And we read this in Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 15. And this is going to be my core scripture for this morning. Um, verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies, so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's the vision of the church. God, first of all, wants all people saved, and secondly, wants all saved people to become mature and to live up to the standard of Jesus Christ. So how do we do this? Good question. I'm going to go through a thing called the vision process, and there's four points I'd like to go through, and these are four stages that we're going to look at. And like I said earlier, I can guarantee two things. You're going to find yourself somewhere in this process, and you're going to find your part or parts to play during this process. Amen. And this process, let me just add, is a lifelong process. It doesn't just happen. Okay, so take heart. So there are four stages of this process, and I believe to be a successful, growing, disciple-making or disciple-producing church, we need to be active in every single stage of the process. So let's look at the first stage. First stage is evangelism. In this stage of the vision process, we win souls for Christ. Now, when I said evangelism, I already felt people switch off. Because isn't that the evangelist's job? Isn't that the walk the talk team's job to go evangelize? No. We just read in that scripture that it's the evangelist's job to equip God's people to do God's work. It's the evangelist's job to equip us so that we can go out there. So when I say we win souls for Christ, it's we. It's all of us. No one's excluded. It's all of us. There's no exception. Amen? Every member of the church should be a soul winner. Whether it's one or a hundred thousand, it doesn't matter. We should be winning souls for Christ. And whether you've been saved for 50 minutes or 50 years, we can tell people about Jesus. We can tell them what he's done for us. How? Oh, I've never done this before. I don't even know what the sinner's prayer was. I heard it, but I didn't really take note. Well, guess what? I don't know what the sinner's prayer is either because it's not biblical. Well, it's based on, it is biblical. It's based on the Bible but it's not found in the Bible. It's based on Scripture, but it's a man-made thing. The Scripture says in Romans 10, verse 9 to 10, 
If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Now that I said the sinner's prayer three times before I really got saved, and it didn't mean a thing, but the day I truly believed in my heart that Jesus is my Lord, that's the day I got saved. No frills, no fancy prayer. It was just a decision I made in my heart that from today on I'm following Jesus. And that's when I got saved. So it's not about the prayer. It's not about the 10 points that you go through with the 10 different scriptures of that it helps. It's a way, but that's not what it means. And we're going to go through a few, two points on how to evangelize. Simple methods, simple, easy that everyone can do. Now the classic approach is the turn of burn approach, but that doesn't really work. Uh, like we're saying here in essay, dry of pry. Um, that approach, I haven't heard many amazing testimonies of that working. But there are many other ways. And the first one I'd like to look at is our testimony. Because if you think about it, we all have testimonies. We all have a day that we got saved. All have a day when we met with Jesus. And all, all we're doing basically is telling people our story. It's easy. We could tell people our story, how Jesus miraculously changed our lives. Because let me tell you, the day we got saved was a miracle. Because we really went from death to life. Like I said earlier, we can't downplay that day. We could tell people why we're so alive now. Why we have so much joy now. Why we have a hope when everyone is hopeless. That's part of our testimony. And whether you grew up in a church and you were saved your whole life, or whether you lived like a hooligan all your life, um, and I'm not going to go into details, but then you have a poor moment and you see Jesus face to face with a great light and you're blinded and someone has to pray so that you get your sight back and you get radically saved. If that's your testimony, great. Amen. But it doesn't matter what our testimony looks like. We all have a testimony and they all have power to to reach people. And the reason why we all have different testimonies is because we need to reach different people. The person that got radically saved, like Paul, might not reach a person that feels like they lost because they grew up in a church, but they didn't really make a commitment. But the person that did grow up as a, in a church and is radically saved by Jesus can reach that person in a different way. Amen. So it doesn't matter what our testimonies look like. We all have one, and we should use them as often as possible. We don't know the ripple effect that our testimonies will have. Because even if people don't get saved immediately, you've planted that seed. And we need to be seed planters. Amen? Some, some plant, some water, some reap the harvest. God brings the growth. But the bottom line is we all have one. And they're equally um, powerful to convince people that God exists, God is real, God cares about us a whole lot, He loves us unconditionally, and that He wants to have a personal relationship with, with, with people. And no one can argue or downplay our, our testimonies either, because it happened to us. We were there. You're not going to tell me I was hallucinating. I was there. I know what happened. <laughs> so no one can argue our testimonies either. 
Now, I want to I look at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well this morning. We can all turn to John 4 because I'm going to go through quite a few scriptures. Um, but the point is that this lady received the testimony and she did something with it. And this story is actually only found in John. It's not found in any of the other Gospels. And I love the way John writes. Very loving, very intimate guy. So one day when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a lack of chat with him. Um, so let's look at John 4, verse 4 to 7. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Okay, we're going to pause there. So we read there that it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon. It's the hottest time of the day. Um, I also found out that this particular well, Jacob's well, was about 800 meters outside the village, outside the town. So why did this Samaritan woman go out during the hottest time of the day, probably carrying a very heavy jar to collect water, um, and walk so far to get water? Why? Why during that time of the day? Most women in those days used to go draw water from the well in the morning or in the late afternoon when it's cooler. And apparently, drawing water from the well in those days was quite a social event for the ladies. It's a time where they used to catch up and chat. And then the husbands are like, why did that take so long? I'm thirsty. <laughs> like, no, there was a lot of people at the well. It took a long time to get the, you know, stories. So why was this woman avoiding that time? We'll read in, thir- in verse 13 to 18. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. So here's our answer. Let's just say that the Samaritan woman was not a great role model for the young ladies in the, in the village. Um, and Samaritans in those days were part Jew, part Gentile. So they knew quite a bit of the Jewish law on how to live holy lives. And she certainly wasn't living a holy life. Um, She had five husbands, had five husbands. So either she was really unlucky, and all five husbands uh, died, (laughs) or something happened to them, freak accidents, or the more obvious choice is she was unfaithful. And in those days, to be living with uh, someone that you're not married to was more than just frowned upon. In today's day and age, it seems to be the norm, not according to the Word of God, but according to the world. But in those days, it was a very bad thing, and you could actually be sentenced to death for it. So she was living a very shameful life. And to avoid that shame and to avoid that humiliation, 
She would go in the heat of the day to draw water to avoid people. When, and she went there when no one else was there. So let's look at verse 25 to 26. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. So even there we can see that she knew a little bit about the Jewish law. Because she knew that there was a Messiah and that he's coming. And this is the most amazing part of the story for me. Because this is the, the moment her life changes. The moment she know, goes from knowing about Jesus to meeting Jesus the Messiah face to face. And her life changes in an instant. When I think about the first day I met Jesus, it was a life-changing moment. Like I said earlier, I went from feeling dead to being alive. I, fe I felt hopeless before that. I was going down a path that was leading to destruction and possibly death. And Jesus changed that. He changed my whole life. And the same thing happened to her. So let's see what she did in, in verse 28 to 30. The woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Before the Samaritan woman met Jesus, she did everything in her power to avoid the people because she was full of shame. But the moment she met Jesus, she forgot about her shame completely and ran straight to the people she was trying to avoid to tell them about who? About Jesus. She had just received her testimony. Like I said earlier, when you meet Jesus, you have a testimony. She just received the testimony. And the first, first thing she did is she went and told the people. The people she was trying to avoid. Let's see what happens in verse 39 to 42. <clears throat> Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard ourselves, and we, we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The truth is, uh, we can't save anyone. And our testimonies can't save anyone either. But they can point people to Jesus. They can show people how awesome he is and that he is the one that cares about them. He's the reason why we're sharing our testimony. And he is the one that is mighty to save. Amen. Romans 10 verse 13 to 15 says, For everyone who calls on, my name of, on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is what the scriptures say. How beautiful are the feet of, the, of messengers who bring good news. We need to tell them, church. We are all sent ones. We are the messengers. Every single one of us. So let's go. But there's a second way we can reach people. And that's through prayer. Through our prayer. And Mark 16, verse 15 to 18 says, very similar to the Matthew scripture, And he told them, Go into the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. 
and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. See, our evangelism can and should be supernatural, because our God is supernatural. It shouldn't just be about preaching the gospel, just about talking to people. It can be. Sometimes just connecting with someone and then speaking the truth into their lives, that, that, hap- that it works, and God can do amazing things through that. But sometimes people's ears are closed. And I've, those of, that have gone to the malls and the streets to evangelize, you'll know that some people will just refuse the gospel. But if you ask them, can I pray for you? Almost every single one of them, say almost, because there are some that refuse. Almost every single one of them will say, yes, you can pray for me. Um, they don't ask in whose name you pray, it's weird. But um, I wouldn't just let anyone pray for me, but, but it, 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 it works. And why? Because the ears are closed, but the eyes are open. And through prayer, things happen. Anything can happen through prayer. Amen? Don't underestimate the power of your prayer. Because it's not about us, the people that pray. It's not about the prayer we're praying. It's about the God that we're praying to. And because of we making ourselves available to pray, God will move through them. And He can do anything through prayer. Through, the, through our prayers, the supernatural flows. Miracles, healings, uh, casting out demons. Prophetic words, words of knowledge, all of this can come through prayer. And Jesus said, you will do greater things than I have. And look, look at all the things he did, all the healings he did, all the demons he cast out. Don't be scared of this, church, because we are supernatural people. And when we pray to our supernatural God, he does supernatural things. And this is a way we can evangelize. And I, I'll explain this now. It says there, In verse 17, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. We are the ones who believe, so they will accompany us. Okay, amen. So we have to trust. You don't have to have the gift of healing to heal someone. You don't have to have the gift of prophecy to to speak into someone's life. As soon as you pray, God can move. And just like we can't save anyone, we can't heal anyone, We can't perform miracles. We can't speak prophetic words, but our God can. We just need to make ourselves available. And he will use whoever makes themselves available to be used. It reminds me of a story of Angus Buchan. He shared it at one of the Mighty Men conferences. He said he went somewhere up in Africa, and he was speaking to a whole crowd of Muslims. And he said he preached for about an hour, and he said it was the best preach he's ever preached. Like he was on fire, but nothing happened. And then he was like, Lord, Lord, what do I do? And the Holy Spirit said to him, are you done? Are you done doing it your way? Because their ears are closed. And he said, pray for that man. And I I can't remember what he prayed for, but the man was healed. And then the, the, the place just erupted. There was healings all over the place. People got saved. I think he said most of the people there got saved. Radically converted by Jesus. And it was because their ears were closed, but their eyes were open. Sometimes we have to 
tap into the supernatural to, to bring the gospel. Amen? And anyone can do it. Uh, I remember a story of a, a, a soldier that got saved, uh, and he, it was a, a whole bunch of people got healed in the meeting, and the guy that was preaching said, anyone can lay hands and people will be healed. So he went home because his gran was quite ill. I think she had cancer on the lungs or something. And he prayed for his gran. He's only been saved one day. And his gran got healed. So anyone can pray and God will move. Amen. So that's that's the first stage, evangelism. Second stage. Sorry, they do get shorter as I go, so don't be worried about time. (laughs) So the second stage is affirmation. Now this stage of the vision process, I find is extremely important because this is the stage where we confirm and strengthen the decision made by a new believer. This is extremely important because this is where a lot of new believers fall through the cracks, so to say. This is where the enemy likes to come with his lies. Are you really saved? Hmm. Did God really heal you? You still feel a little bit of pain, don't you? Does God really love you? I mean, you're a bad person. Would you really love someone like you? Did Jesus really die for you on a cross? It seems unrealistic for a God to go die on a cross. Why would he do that for a person like you anyway? The decision you made wasn't real. Just forget about it. It was all in your head. Just move on. Carry on with your life. And it reminded me of a story of a friend of, my, of mine that I used to have. And he got saved way before I got saved at a youth camp, and uh, he came back from this youth camp on fire, like literally, like he was a different person, and I remember thinking, yo, this is weird, <laughs> what's, what's this guy on about, and he was speaking about Jesus, and he was speaking about how his life has changed, and he doesn't want to drink anymore, he doesn't want to smoke, doesn't want to do all these bad things anymore, and I thought this guy was crazy, and after about two weeks, he was back to the same guy that he used to be and he was joiling with us and he was drinking with us and only after I got saved it made me sad because I realized that my friend had met Jesus but there was no follow-up and he fell through the cracks and today he's very far from God and I'm praying for him that he will one day come back but it shows you how important the stage is because the devil will fight uh, fire his fiery arrows of lies at these people and these people don't have any defense we i had this picture of us standing around new believers with our shields of faith blocking out the fiery arrows of the devil because until these guys come to the next step the next stage which is discipleship before we can teach them how to use their shield they are vulnerable and the enemy's lies are just going to come and they're just going to hit these people so we need to shield these people. We need to protect these people. And we need to fight for these new believers because they can't fight for themselves. They have no weapons. They have found Jesus, but they're still very vulnerable. Amen? So we need to extinguish these fiery arrows for them. So during this stage, we should do, be doing follow, proper follow-up, and we should be bringing confirmation of the decision, telling them, the decision they made was the best decision they ever made and that their life is never going to be the same. We need to be reminding them 
of the new life in Christ and how amazing it's going to be, how awesome it's going to be. We need to be helping them lay a foundation of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be right there with them. But it's very important during this stage that we don't bombard them with terms and conditions. It's great that you've been saved, but T's and C's applied, brother. You need to do this and this and this and this thing. You need to jump through this hoop and climb over this wall. You really need to stop that thing. You really need to fix that thing ASAP. You need to reach this level soon, otherwise people might question your salvation. No, stop it. They're going to have enough accusations from the devil, telling them lies that they've, what the decision they've made is wrong. They're going to have these accusations that they're not good enough, that Jesus doesn't really love them. We need to be there to love them. We need to be there to encourage them. We need to be there to speak God's promises over them. Like, for instance, you are saved. You are forgiven. You are alive in Christ. You are a child of God. You have a future. God has a plan for your life. Nothing can separate you from God's love. We need to be repeat, repeat, repeat this into these people's lives until it becomes a truth and that they can't waver from it, until they are ready to be discipled. Because when we're discipling, and we're going to get to that point next, is where the deeper truths start to happen. But the foundations of the gospel of Christ, we need to be there to, to, to almost drill it into these people. Amen. Because when, when people get saved, that is when they're most vulnerable, and that's when the devil is most active, because he doesn't want them to... He can see that these guys have got potential, and he's going to try and stop it at all costs. So we need to be there and fight for them. Amen? The thing is that law brings death, but Jesus brings life. So when people get saved, we can't pound them with the law. We need to be life givers and breathe life into them. Obviously, there are exceptions to the rule, especially if these people find themselves in, in dire situations or even if their lives are in danger. But when we, in those situations, or in every situation, we're going to have to be very sensitive to the Spirit and be, walk very close to the Spirit so that we can carry on speaking life. Sometimes we have to have the hard talk and say, this thing is really unhelpful. And if you carry on with this thing, it's going to end up exactly where you were heading. But we need to affirm, affirm, bring that affirmation. Amen. So the third one is discipleship. Now, the objective of discipleship is to teach, train, equip, activate, and provide pastoral care to all believers. But the goal is continual and constant growth of the believer. Okay, can I just say up front that we will never graduate from discipleship? There's never going to be a moment where we can say, I've arrived. You're looking at perfection just like Jesus. While we're living on God's green earth, that won't, will never happen, but we strive towards it. Amen. We read, in Ephesians, we read in Ephesians 4, I just want to remind us in verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is still happening, and this will continue to happen until we leave this earth. It's a process. It's a lifelong process. And none of us are perfect. 
If you're perfect, please leave because then you don't need the church. <laughs> Amen. But the, in verse 15 it says, Instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. The goal of discipleship is to grow and grow and grow in every way to be more like Christ. He's our goal. He's, he's, our, he's our vision. He's the one we look at. So how do we do that? How do we help? How do we be discipled? And how do we disciple others? We need to teach, train, equip, and activate our brothers and sisters in love. And can I just say all of these stages we do in love, everything Jesus did, he had in compassion for the people. We need to have compassion for each other. That's the, that's the thing that drives us. Amen. So it's all about relationship. It's all about walking a road with someone. Being, having someone next to you, for you, and being that someone for someone else. It's about seeing someone's preferable future and helping them get there. It's about discovering someone's gifts and showing them where they can function in the body of Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do all the good things he planned for us long ago. It's about helping someone fight their giants, fighting alongside them. It's about warning someone of the dangers ahead. Sometimes we don't see our own dangers. We need to allow people to warn us and not take offense when someone's warning us. We need, we need to, it's all about seeing someone fall and not laughing at them because they fell. Or pointing fingers and look, look, say, look, look at him. It's about helping them back up. Hiding our brother's nakedness. Galatians 6 verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, if, any, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. It's about having a teachable spirit and being willing to grow with someone. It's about leading someone by example. It's about serving like Jesus served. It's about setting someone up for success, even if you know that they are going to go further, they're going to run harder, and they're going to do more in the kingdom than you can ever do. You set them up for success, and you push them forward. It's about constantly pointing someone to Jesus and constantly looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's about helping, finding some, some, helping someone find their calling and then giving them a, a little bit of a nudge forward. That's how we get discipled, and that's how we disciple others. Amen. And then the fourth stage is sending out. Sending out. In this last stage of the vision process, we send out our best into the world. To lead ministries in other churches to lead ministries in new church plants, to assist new church plants, to plant or transition New Testament churches, to pioneer new territories and advance the kingdom, to preach a gospel where it's never been preached before. Amen. Those are all big callings and require people that are trained, equipped, called, and ready to go. But can I also say that we are all being sent out. Every single one of us are sent ones. 
Every single day we are being sent out into the world, into our workplaces, into our schools, into our grocery stores, into our petrol stations, into our malls, into our gyms. What else is there? Wherever we go, we are being sent to be ambassadors of Christ, to be messengers of the good news, to be beacons of hope. And that is important in this day and age because there seems to be no hope wherever we go. To be peacemakers, to pray for people, our prayers are powerful, to make disciples of all nations and to advance the kingdom of God. Let's go, church. Let's go. So let's recap. Um, like I said earlier, I, can, I, I said I was going to guarantee two things today. We will all find ourselves somewhere in one or two of these stages of the vision process. Either you are between evangelism and affirmation, or you're between affirmation and discipleship, or you're smack bang in the middle of discipleship, but we're all being sent out. We all have that. We all have, and I said that we're all going to find our parts to play. I said parts plural because there's more than one part. We should all be winning souls for Christ, whether you are in the first phase or the fourth phase. We should all be winning souls for Jesus. We should all be fighting for our new brothers and sisters in Christ, holding up those shields of faith, protecting those that are vulnerable. And we should all be willing to be discipled and be willing to disciple others. And we should be willing to be growing more and more like Jesus. When, like I said earlier, we never get to that moment where we say, I have arrived. Even Paul, who is my, the guy I look up to the most in the Bible except for Jesus, is he, he, he was like so on fire for God and he did so much for him. He even said that he's still got more to do. To live is Christ and to die is gain. He wanted his death to even point people to Jesus. That's how on fire he was, and that's how, how I want to be. So I'd like to, uh, just before we, before we look at the video, is the video ready? I just, while I was praying for this, I saw this picture of us all driving cars, and we're all in a certain gear. Some of us in first gear, some are in second, some third some even sixth or seventh. I think you get seven years in some cars now. And I just saw this picture where God wants to today just help us shift the gear. Either go up a gear so we can get more momentum, or for some, going up a hill, you need to gear down to get more momentum forward. But the, the fact that I've, I just felt God say that he wants us individually to shift gears to get more momentum, and as a church, we shift gears to get more momentum. So I'm just going to show a video. It's called The Vision. It's about five minutes long. Um, but this guy wrote this poem about a vision that, about what God, he thought God said to him is the vision of the church. And he talks about young people, but I believe all of us are young because we are children of the God. And we all are young in spirit, and we all have something to do. Even if you're eight years old, God still has something for you to do. Moses was, how old was he when he led the people through the desert? He was very old. So we all are young at heart. So enjoy and be blessed.
Let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you are our vision, Jesus, that you are our king, that you are our champion, Lord, and we look to you today, Lord, and we thank you for your vision. We thank you, Lord, for equipping us, for training us to do your work, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are sending each and every one of us out into the world to be beacons of hope and to be deliverers of the gospel of Christ. Lord, I pray, Lord, that our faith would increase, Lord, that our our vision would be would increase, Lord, and that we'd always look to you, Lord. We'd always make you the number one of our lives, Lord. We'd always make you everything that we we need. And Lord, I just I just thank you, Lord, for the words that you've shared with us today, Lord. And I, whatever came from me, Lord, I pray, Lord, that that would fall to the ground. But I, Lord, I just just pray, Lord, that everything that came to you came from you, Lord, would take root, Lord, and that it would it, it would push us, Lord to become active, Lord, active in your vision. We thank you for this, Lord, and I just pray a special blessing on every single one that's here, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you'll just be with us wherever we go, just like your word promised. And we just give you all the honor and all the glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Please don't rush off. Please enjoy some cappuccinos and tea and coffee and rusks and ice creams.